All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles, get them out and open up to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in uh, Proverbs 16 to start. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there are some in the back, and I can't encourage you enough to have the Word of God before you uh, when we dig into these things. Um, look at Scripture, see what it says, be familiar with it. Uh, very important thing for you to be practicing. Um, as I said the last time that I preached, the uh, book of Proverbs is the literary genre known as wisdom literature. It's meant to be read and understood as wisdom literature, which would be different than the way you would read the Gospels or the epistles to the church, for example. Um, the Proverbs were primarily written by King Solomon, uh, King David's son. Not every uh, chapter of Proverbs is from King Solomon, but most of them, the majority of them are. The Proverbs are also uh, written primarily as a teaching from a father to a son. And so most of the, the chapters of Proverbs were written with that in mind, a father instructing his child, his son, giving him wisdom. When we come to realize that our true father has given us his word, then we also realize that this is God's fatherly instruction to us as his children. And so when you're thinking about it in those terms, it really kind of changes the way you receive it and look at it and think about it. Solomon was historically known as the smartest man to have ever lived. He was also the wealthiest man to have ever lived. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we get some insight to this, verses 5 through 14. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my statutes, sorry, walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Notice how the Lord declared that none before Solomon and none after him would have the measure of wisdom that God was going to give Solomon then at that appointed time. Not only did the Lord give Solomon this wisdom, but he gave him riches and honor as well. Uh, of course, the scriptures will teach us that Solomon did not always walk according to the statutes of the Lord. 
Uh, he had many wives, many concubines in the hundreds. It wasn't like a few. It was a lot. Um, he had riches that make the, the wealthiest of today look like a joke. Um, he, he didn't build big houses with a cool like waterfall pool that kind of disappears over the edge. He built forests and lakes. Like that was the wealth that Solomon had. Now, when we read what Proverbs shows us, knowing that Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, is really not the point. God's word was written by his chosen human vessels who were carried along by God the Holy Spirit. And so the wisdom of Proverbs does not come ultimately from Solomon. It comes from God himself. The unique difference between the wisdom literature in Proverbs and other literary genres is that many of the sayings or or verses can just be studied on their own. Uh, You don't often have to read a huge portion of context to study a particular passage and understand what it's getting at. Some of the Proverbs, there's themes going through it, so it's helpful, but it's not always necessary. And so for our time this morning, we're going to look at one verse, and we're going to dig into that. I want to take a very practical approach so that you understand the verse and you understand how then to apply it in your day-to-day life. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 11. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. A just balance and scale are the Lord's. Now, this type of wording is meant to give us an illustration. It's meant to connect an abstract thought to a concrete image. An abstract thought is something that is immaterial. Uh, You can't hold it in your hands. Uh, So when we think about just and good and right, I can't hold good in my hand. It's not concrete. I can see good things, But I don't see good. Good is an abstract thought. Now, concrete imagery is something that you can see, something you can hold, something you can touch, right? It's physical. Many studies have been done on the maturing process for humans, and oftentimes abstract thoughts are very difficult for small children and youth to understand, until late in their junior high and on to their early high school years. If you've ever seen an old-fashioned scale, like the one being mentioned here in Proverbs, you'll know right away by seeing it that it is concrete. It is physical. And what you need to understand is that there is a father who is trying to help his son or his many sons and daughters understand an abstract idea with concrete imagery. With these scales, they were often put together with two plates on one side and the other. Those plates were often hung by a chain of sorts to a bar that goes across the scale. That bar, usually right in the very center of the bar, there was something that it would rest on or that was kind of bolted to it. So that if these two plates are out and there is nothing in them, they would sit dead even. One plate wouldn't be up and the other down wouldn't be the other way. They would be perfectly matched. When merchants sold something, they usually did it by weight. 
And so they would place an item on one side of the scale, and then they would place weights in small increments until they figured out exactly what that item weighed. Uh, imagine a, a loaf of bread being placed on this side of the scale, right? Bread's not super heavy, but this is a big, big loaf, so it's, it's a little tilt here, right? Well, the merchant would then add weight, and then add a weight, and then add a weight, and eventually the scale would be balanced. It would be even. And the merchant would know then what to charge for that bread based upon the weight that brought the scale into balance. So the Proverbs passage, the wisdom of a father to a son is quite simply this. God is the one who declares what is just and what is not. When we wonder if something is right or wrong, we do not ask our culture We don't consult the history book as an ultimate standard. We don't even consult our friends as an ultimate standard. Wise counsel is a good thing, but it is not ultimate. Rather, we go to God, who has revealed to us in his word what is just. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. Now, this has multiple implications, but there are a few major points that can be seen here. God declares what is just. If God declares something to be good, it is good. If God declares something to be bad, it is bad. If God declares something to be fair, it is fair. If he declares something to be unfair, then it is unfair. God's judgments and what God reveals to us through his word is just and fair, always has been, always will be. If we took every action of the Lord and put it on one side of the scale, and then we put the weights of justice on the other side of the scale, it would be perfectly balanced. There would be no skewing of that scale. God's work and word always prove to be perfectly just, perfectly good, and perfectly right. Now the Proverbs passage takes this one step further, which is really neat, and the clarity is so good. Proverbs 16.11, A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. So not only do we see that God is just, that he has decided what justice is, that his ways, his word, his sovereign actions are always just as well, But we see in the end of the verse, the weights, the things used to measure if something is just, are the work of the Lord. God hasn't declared only that his ways are just, but he also declares that the measurement of justice belongs to him. He is the one who decides what is good and just and right, and he has commanded us to go to his word to understand these things as well. So go back to the concrete illustration that helps us understand this abstract idea. If on this side of the scale is an action or perhaps a a cultural idol, uh, uh, even just a belief that you have, and you want to know if that thing is good and right and just, the very tool used to measure it is God and his word. You place it on this side of the scale, You go to God's word and you see if God's word agrees that that is balanced and right and good. The weights we would place on this side are the weights of justice fashioned by 
the Lord. So very practically speaking, church, if you want to know if something is right, you turn to God. I want to bring some more clarity. Uh, You turn to God and his word. Uh, Far too many people have claimed something's right because they said God told them so. That's Avoid that, please. Go to his word. God never contradicts his word. Very practically speaking, if you want to know if something is right, you turn to the truth of God found in his word. And I want to bring some clarity that I think will be helpful. I think it will help you grasp why this is such a good thing. Here's what I mean. Have you ever wondered if a belief or an action that you've taken or perhaps someone you love has taken is good or right? Have you ever wondered if the way you viewed something honored the Lord or didn't? Do I have a right view of that thing? Have you ever felt kind of a a deep turmoil over wondering if something was good and right, and you just didn't know how how to figure out if it was or not? Well, you don't need to worry about that if your personal assessment and judgment of that thing is accurate, it is because you have gone to God and his word and you can be certain that it's accurate. If you do not measure it according to God's standards, then you will have the burden of that weight upon you and you were not made to carry that burden. It never goes well. The reason I believe this can be helpful in a practical sense is this. Every nation... Every tribe, every tongue, every people groups since the beginning of time lives in a fallen world. Therefore, there are fallen views of how things ought to be for every person in the history of man. Every people group has promoted something that was against and unjust according to God and his word throughout history. We we ought not to be surprised, church, right? That our world, the world around us, promotes things that are utterly against God, that are unjust. There's not been a generation that existed who did not deal with such things. But here's the good news, church. You don't have to figure out if your view or your understanding of such things in a fallen world is a right balance of judgment. All you have to do is go to God's word. And see what he has declared about such things to know if the actions or even the beliefs are just and right and true. Now, the following example that I chose to use this morning in our time is pretty heavy. Um, It's not meant to be like a shock type of thing. It's just meant to bring some real practical clarity. Uh, If you think about what's going on in the world around us, like right now, the the hot uh, button items of our day, there's a laundry list of things I could have chosen to use. Um, So I'm not picking on this one thing, um, but I want to use it to bring some good clarity for you this morning. If someone wanted to have someone else killed, let's say they met with the person that they were going to hire to carry out this killing. Let's say they picked the day and they paid this person money to make sure that they would go ahead and do this thing. Let's say the day that they picked, they actually went to the person to make sure that that person would carry out the very thing they were hired to do. Do you know what we would call that? The person who hired the other person and the one who was hired would be charged with some degree of murder. There's various degrees and various states have different laws. Most likely, if this happened, it would be first-degree murder. 
In California, our criminal code defines murder this way. The crime of murder is defined in Penal Code 187 PC as the unlawful killing of a human being or fetus with malice aforethought. Uh, I figured it would be helpful to define aforethought because until uh, I read that and then looked up the word, I always thought aforethought were two separate words, not aforethought, like one word. Uh, it's interesting. I'm like, well, maybe we should define it then. The definition of aforethought was this, previously in mind, uh, premeditated, deliberate, with malice aforethought. So perhaps some of you have already gone there in your minds. When a mother commits an abortion, she has planned it. She has met with the person that she is paying to kill her baby in her womb. In fact, she brings the child herself with no way out and no other option to the one who is going to perform this wicked and vile act. One of the ways that our current culture tries to soften that reality is by using the term fetus. The term fetus in Latin uh, has a, a kind of expanded definition, but to simplify it, in general, it was used to define an unborn offspring. So for our example today, a baby in the womb of a mother is indeed an unborn offspring. Now, thinking back to the uh, California law, the, the law 187 that I quoted earlier, the first few words of that law said unlawful killing. If you notice, it even had the term fetus, which would make you think, how can someone get an abortion then? Well, because the state of California has decided that it is lawful and okay to perform an abortion, murdering children in the womb. So that word's important, unlawful. If they've made it a law that it's okay, then they don't consider it unlawful. The reason that I bring all of this up is because especially for young people, perhaps this is one of those areas in life where you really struggle to come to terms with what you think about it. The culture around you really presses this with multiple different lies, claiming it is something that it is not, and really, really freaks out because they are very idolatrous about this specific thing. Perhaps you've been faced with the supposedly good arguments for why an abortion should be permissible. Maybe you're struggling internally to decide what you think about such things, what is just, what is good, and what is right. Church, young people, old people, the burden for you to decide what you think is right is a burden you should not be bearing. God is the one who declares what is just. God has defined murder differently than our state has defined it, although it almost sounds exactly the same. Therefore, if we want to know what is just or balanced or right, we must weigh these things on God's scale. God declares in his word that we must not murder. Murder in God's word is the unjust taking of a life, just like in our law. The difference is what is considered 
unjust. To make a law allowing murder to happen would be unjust according to God's word. And therefore, according to God's word, murder, even of a baby in a womb, I would even say perhaps especially of a baby in a womb, is unjust. It is murder. God will not have that. Right? There will be a penalty for that. Abortion is the unjust killing of a life according to God. Now, just because the state of California has made it legal doesn't make it good or acceptable to God. That goes for anything that any country might make legal or acceptable. So you need to go to God's word to know what is just and good and right and true. We see some clarity on this in Exodus 21. Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman... So that her children come out, but there is no harm. The one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him. And he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If there is harm, then you shall pay life for life under the old covenant law of God. The punishment for murder under the old covenant law was life. The life of the murderer was to be taken. Therefore, we can see clearly that God would call abortion murder. With some added clarity, consider that this is the requirement for men striving against each other not specifically aiming towards the mother who was pregnant. So if they did strike the mom, as the scripture says, and the baby died, they would be required to give their life for the life of the baby. Now imagine how much more guilt the murderer would have if the mother does this with malice aforethought and brings the baby herself to be killed. It was not an accident. Notice also that God calls the baby a life. He cannot be clearer. If the fight caused the death, then the life of the one who caused it would be required life for life, right? Therefore, Christian, we do not need to wonder if there are acceptable circumstances for an abortion. God's word has declared it to be murder, and under the old covenant law, it would have been met with the death penalty, It should help us see how serious God takes these things. Now, I will speak more to this topic later on in my sermon. I really did not want to make abortion just the primary focus of the topic. But I did want to take something that is very current, very real, being really fought over by our nation, right? And show you how we apply God's word to that so that we hold a just and balanced view. We have proper scales before the Lord, right? Getting back to our Proverbs passage, we see that God is just and the one who created the weights to decide if something is just. All the weights in the bag are his work. This is why the Lord hates injustice and delights in proper justice or truth. Proverbs 11, verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. 
kind of see this theme, right? The, the father is using a scale to help you get this imagery about these things. Now, why would a false balance be an abomination? Well, because it lies about God. God is the one who's decided what is true and right and balanced. And when someone uses a false balance, they lie about the creator of just, of truth, right? It rails against God's sovereignty, as if we can decide these matters for ourselves and try to rob God of his glory, the glory that is only due to him. He's the decider of what is just. The weights in the bag belong to the Lord. Why does the Lord delight in a just balance? Because it honors him. It honors God who is just, who is the one who has laid out the standards for what is just. You see, when we use God's standards and are honest in our measuring out of things, it tells the truth about God to the world around us. It honors the glory of God as God. We tell the world around us we are dependent upon him to know what is just and balanced and right. It shows our true submission to him. I hope that makes sense. I hope that imagery is helpful. In Isaiah 5.20, God declares through his prophet this great woe. Uh, a woe is not a great thing, but this is a great like warning, a great woe. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. This is a clear and gracious warning that reminds us that we must consider what God has declared and to not turn from his truth. This woe is gracious in the way that God reminds us that justice belongs to God And when we do not rightly declare what is good or evil according to God, we defame his name because he is the one who has decided the standard for good and evil. We present to the world a false scale, an unjust scale. And if God is the one who makes the scale just, then we tell the world a lie about God. Jesus, many times in the Gospel of John, uh, the Gospel of John happens to be what we're teaching the youth uh, for this last year or more. And so I've got to do a lot of those lessons or, or edit them. And you see Jesus do this regularly in this Gospel. Jesus will declare that his judgments are right, not because he makes them, but because he only does what the Father wills. Jesus, in his human nature, is declaring that I know I am just because... I'm doing what God the Father has willed. I'm using his judgments. Proverbs says multiple times that man thinks all his ways are right, but it is the Lord who weighs the heart. I hope that this concrete illustration of a scale begins to help us see the beautiful truths about God and his justice. Good and bad, right and wrong are abstract thoughts. They're not something that are tangible in the sense that you can hold them or see them. But a scale is concrete. You can hold a scale in your hand. You can see it work when you add things to either side. And the Proverbs are full of these illustrations for our benefit. It is often one of the things that I try to consider when I teach to youth or especially to my own kids. How can I take this thing that is true about God and is a blessing and help my kids understand it? How how can I help them connect it in their mind? Why look for a concrete illustration to connect it to? God is so good, church, to give us this example in his word and to teach us in this way. Perhaps 
the next time that you are faced with a difficult decision about something, whether in thought or action, you will consider the imagery of a scale and be remembered, be reminded, sorry, that God has set the standards. The weights with which we balance the scale are God's work. When I was preparing the sermon, I considered continuing on in Proverbs. Proverbs 16 has got so many more good verses in it. Uh, Proverbs 16, Proverbs 21, obviously I think all of God's word is great, but if you want to spend some time in a couple chapters of Proverbs, I can't encourage you to go to those two enough. Uh, But instead of continuing on in Proverbs, I I thought, you know what, I, I want to take this imagery of the scale, this truth about God being just and the one who decides what is just, right? And I want to apply it in an even more personal, deeper way. And so I want you to consider this. If God is just, as his word declares him to be, in fact, we see in Daniel chapter 4, verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. I like the example of Nebuchadnezzar because just before this, God had kind of turned him into like a beast of the field for many years for his wicked rebellion against God. And so this man experienced God's wrath for his sin uh, on a temporary level and yet still declares that God is just in all of his ways. So if God is just and if God has declared that unjust scales are an abomination to him, then we must see that we have a problem You and I and all of mankind, except for Christ Jesus himself, are guilty of sin. I could have gone to a number of passages from Scripture, often we have, to show you that Scripture clearly declares that all have fallen short, all men are guilty of sin. But my aim was to try and stay in this Proverbs passage with this theme so that I can continue to use that illustration of the scale. Now, I don't need to convince any Christian this morning that they are sinners. If you didn't believe you were a sinner, then you are not a Christian. (laughs) Christians know they're sinners. They love and know how desperate they were for the grace and the mercy of God. We know how much we need a Savior. It is our very sin that shows us the beauty of God's grace in giving us faith. But perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a believer God's word is clear, and it has declared that we, all mankind, believer or not, are guilty of sin. We have fallen short of the glory that God rightly deserves. When we use unjust scales and we make unjust judgments, we lie about God, and therefore we fall short of glorifying him because he is just, and he has laid the standard for justice. If you are an unbeliever, consider this. You fall short of your own moral standards. What you believe to be just, you yourself have failed to measure up to. For example, you've gotten angry at someone when they lied to you because you felt like lying was unjust, and yet you yourself have lied. If you fall short of your own standard then consider how much more you fall short of God's perfect, holy, righteous standard. 
In fact, there are scripture that speaks to this very thing. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. That means all of us, we all judge. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, unlike Proverbs, this needs a little bit of context. In Romans chapter 1, there was a list of sins that were given. And so when we see that it says, Therefore you, O man, have no excuse because you have judged people for failing to do these things, but you yourself have done them, it's referring to that list. But it is also referring to the hypocrisy of judging someone, even though you yourself have failed and done that very thing, right? This is the reason why I think it's helpful to show you that you do not live up to your own standards. Since all of us have fallen short in this, we are all guilty, and therefore, as Scripture declares, we will not escape the judgment of God. In our failure to rightly honor God, who is just, we have a penalty, If we did not have a penalty, God would not be just. So in the same way that if someone hurt your family, uh, maybe you, and they come before a judge, and the judge goes, oh, you're guilty, but there's no punishment, go free. Well, you would call that judge unjust, right? It would be a wicked judge. So if God just says, yes, you are a sinner, but you know what? No big deal. Water under the rug, under the bridge, (laughs) something like that. Go free. Well, God would not be just, right? So what does God say we must add to the other side of the scale to balance the scale when we, through sin, have fallen short of the glory of God? Well, God who is just has declared that the cost of our sin is death, eternal death. The weight that goes on this side is death forever. That is what a just God must put to balance the scale. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Again, thinking about this scale imagery, our sin in this plate of the scale requires the full weight of death to bring about a just balance. There is no human who has ever existed besides Jesus who has had any other scale than this one. None. All of us. All of us have the weight of our sin sitting on the scale that we will be judged by. And all of us, in order for God to be just as he is, will be met with what we deserve, eternal death or eternal life based on something else. Why do we believers have hope? What are we looking forward to? Why, why come together this morning and spend hours of our time singing praises to God if eternal death is what we're due? Well, the rest of verse 23 in Romans chapter 6 tells us, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. It's got that scale tilted. 
But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. In order for God to be just, as Scripture declares, death must be the punishment for sin. There's no other option. Since all of us have sinned, that means all mankind deserves death, and this death is eternal. Now, before you think that perhaps that punishment doesn't seem to fit, like that sounds kind of harsh, like forever death, remember, the weight in the bag are the Lord's. His scale and his justice is balanced. So let's not be arrogant to think we might have better weights. With that in mind, how can God be just by allowing us, those of us who deserve death, which is all mankind, how can he be just in allowing us who have been given faith to go into eternal life? Well, Romans 3 says it in a very unique way that fits well with our understanding of this justice from Proverbs this morning. Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. <clears throat> the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. All of those who died before Christ was here weren't sent to eternal death, if they had faith in the promised Messiah. So God had to look over their sins until he paid for them through Christ. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Church, the way God is righteous towards those who deserve death for their sin is that he does not count your sin against you anymore if you had faith in Christ. God is just and the justifier of all who have faith in Christ Jesus. But it still doesn't seem to connect all the dots. You must see that Christ Jesus was the only innocent man to ever have lived. The scale of Jesus looked very different than ours. There was no imbalance it was pure, undefiled, no nick, no stain, nothing off weight. It was perfect. Christ Jesus was perfect. The death of Christ on behalf of his people is the only way that God's righteous requirements can be met. And I can have eternal life rather than eternal death. Now, to be clear, it's the same for all of us. If God is just and his penalty for sin is death, then you and I must die for God to be just or in God's great mercy, as his eternal plan for salvation takes place in time, God sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for the sin 
of his elect people. You see, God put forward Christ, Jesus, to redeem sinful men by the penalty, the penalty of death that belonged to us being met in Christ. Most simply said, Jesus died, so I don't have to. God did have his justice. What happened to Jesus Christ to redeem us who believe in him from eternal death? Jesus was crucified. He was crucified on behalf of all those whom he came to die for. God indeed does get the just death for sin, as God declares, is the wages for sin. All mankind falls short of the glory of God, and therefore all men must pay the eternal penalty of death, or or you must trust in the death of Jesus Christ to have taken your place and your debt before God. God is just to allow sinners like you and I to be given eternal life rather than death because Jesus died in our place. Christian, Jesus gave an account for your scale. He paid the debt with his blood. Believer, your death penalty did happen. It happened to Jesus on your behalf. Unbeliever, you will either enter into eternal death for your sin, or by God's mercy and grace, you will turn to the finished work of Christ, repent of sin, and trust in him, and be given life. If you do not repent of your sin and trust in Christ Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you will give an account one day for your unbalanced scale. God's weight that will bring balance will be eternal death. Now, illustrations are a really helpful tool unless you use them the wrong way. Uh, If you consider the Trinity, forget every illustration you ever heard. It's probably, it's, it's probably heresy. Don't go egg, don't go water, don't go three-leaf clip, like none of those. Talk to me afterwards. I'll, I'll help you with that. So, you may be tempted to think, perhaps if you're an unbeliever, maybe you're tempted to think, well, what can I add to this side to balance my scale? God has all sorts of just laws that he's given us. If I do those, can I balance it? No. God's also clear. If you're going to balance the scale with obedience, then it, may, it requires perfection to all of his law. All of it. And if man could do that, we wouldn't need a savior. And he wouldn't have sent his son. Perhaps, believer, you're, you're getting this imagery of a scale and you're thinking, okay, so when I come to God for judgment, it's like the blood of Christ weighing the scale and balancing it, right? That would also be the wrong view. You won't hold your scale. Christ held it. Your scale is gone. As far as the east is from the west, your scale has been paid for. It doesn't exist anymore, believer. You will stand before God, hidden in Christ, and it will be Christ's scale that gets judged. And it will be your only hope. But what a beautiful hope, church. It's not up to you, praise God. You're not capable. You need his scale. The scale of all mankind has their sin before a just God 
totally weighing it down. The difference between believers and unbelievers is this, the one who gives an account for the scale. Perhaps you were tempted... Sorry, I already covered that part. If you remain in your unbelief, the weights needed to bring a balance to the scale that you are holding are the weights of eternal death. And God, who is just, is the one who has crafted those weights, declared them to be good and right and true, and he will have his justice. If you are here this morning as an unbeliever, hear that. Hear that as a loving warning, a gracious command of God to repent from your sins and trust in Christ Jesus. The weights that bring a balance for the, non, for the believer sorry, are non-existent because the believer is hidden in Christ and the scale Christ holds is what represents the believer at his judgment. The sacrificial death of Jesus was placed on the other side of my sin so that God would have justice for my scale and then it was destroyed. It is finished. Christ declared it to be. Therefore God is just in giving believers eternal life because his wrath against their sin has already been paid. His penalty for sin was redeemed, was met in the death of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Church, that's amazing. The very God who created you and declares what is just since his son, God the son, to enter into creation, taking on a human nature, living the righteous requirements of a holy God his entire life without sin or stain in thought or deed or action. And the balanced life that God required, the justness that God must have for your life was met when the perfect Messiah died a death that sinners deserved in order to honor God and to save those who would, through faith that God graciously gives them, trust in him. This is why God is just in sending sinners to eternal life. We are not made perfect in this life. Once you're saved, God doesn't polish your scale up. It's gone already. We will always deal with sin until we are glorified with God. However, we are credited Christ's righteousness through faith so that our scales are not even at the trial. And praise God indeed for this church. I pray this reality stirs your heart to a joy and a worship for your God. He's so good. You see what he's done. We are due the righteous penalty of death, and yet Jesus took our place by giving his perfect human life as a sacrifice on our behalf. The Lord then gives us the gift of faith to trust in this reality, and therefore we are saved by the grace through faith, and even that faith that saves us was a gift. It was a work of God, not of you. And I bring this clarity as a way of reminder to you, believer, and as a way of a gospel declaration to anyone here today who has not yet repented of their sin and trusted in Christ. No one is saved by what they have done. If you trust in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it is all and only the work of God on your behalf. No one can earn salvation Man, you cannot balance your own scale. It is impossible. 
Your only hope is to be judged based upon the perfect scale of Christ, to be hidden in him when you give an answer to God for your life. I said I wanted to come back to this earlier in my lesson, so uh, now's the time. Uh, I know, considering a room like this, that it is very possible in ignorance or perhaps in unbelief uh, or even harder, perhaps knowing that it was sinful, that someone here or someone listening could have had an abortion, perhaps could have been really close to somebody or given approval to that view. If you have had an abortion or perhaps you've even simply held to a sinful view of abortion, you can be forgiven in Christ. You can rest in the confidence that salvation is possible by faith in Christ Jesus alone. Abortion is no doubt a very grievous sin, but the death of Christ on behalf of sinners can and most certainly has already paid for many who have committed this sin. And this applies to all sin, church. If your scale is unbalanced because of your sin, your only hope is faith in Jesus. By grace, through faith, we are saved, and this is the work of God, not of man. Committing abortion and even simply having a wrong view of it is sinful. God has redeemed sinners, likely far worse than you, if this applies. So repent of that sin. Trust in Jesus to have paid for it at the cross. Believe in him, and you will be saved. Again, I do not mean to just pick on abortion. My purpose in using it today was simply to give us a practical, current, and applicable example of how we are to apply the wisdom of Proverbs in a real-life way. See how wide-spanning the wisdom of that Proverbs passage is. Everything in your life, every hot-button item, every mild-button item for that sake, if you want it to be just and right and good and true, go to God and his word. Again, if you are guilty of having taken part in something like abortion or having a, a sinful view of it, take heart. Christ died for sinners like you and me. His blood can cover that. I want to close our time by bringing this to a practical conclusion, church. God is just. His holiness requires that those who fall short of it must be put to death because of their offense against him. As our Proverbs passage declares so clearly, Proverbs 16, 11, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. God is so gracious, church, to send his son to enter into humanity to take on flesh and to meet the holy requirements of God and to die in the place of sinners like you and me so that all whom Christ died for would be saved through his sacrificial death. When you study Proverbs, don't just see the practical and good wisdom that God has graciously blessed us with. Consider how deep the truths of that wisdom literature go and then apply it. The simple verse in Proverbs shows us that God must bring death for sin. And when we consider all of Scripture, we see that God will or does eventually. 
Either we will experience death for our sin, or the death we deserve was justly met in the death of Christ Jesus our Lord. So have you sinned? Yes. That's a rhetorical question. Don't, don't say no. Well, what can you do to bring a balance to your scale? Nothing. God designed it and he has stated as such. You are desperate for the work and the grace of God in you to bring you to faith in Christ Jesus and be saved. There is no other option. You don't want to give an account for your scale. It won't go well for you. You don't even want God to clean it up and try to make it work better. You want Christ's scale. You want to be hidden in Christ. You want to have his scale represent you when you give an account for the life that God has blessed you with. Christian, have you been in a rut? You stuck? Is there some sin that you're not repenting of, not, not confessing that's got you down? Is there just some weight that's bearing on you? Well, if it's sin, repent of it. Your good deeds never saved you. You know that. Your sin does not condemn you anymore if you are in Christ Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Believer, God gives us his word so that we may not sin. However, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God has made a way for us to be right. So repent of your sin, pick up your cross, go back to the Lord. Christ's blood is sufficient. It's sufficient for any and all sin. It is sufficient for you. If you are here this morning and you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you have not handed your life over to him, want to live for him, turned from your sin, one day God will call you to account for your unbalanced scale. You will give an answer. And it is my prayer for you today that before that day comes, you would repent of your sin and trust in Christ and you would see the beauty of the scale of the Lord Jesus Christ before you when God calls you to give an account. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for our time together this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you are just. Thank you that your justice will be met. How many have lost unjustly those things will be met. We need not fear or concern ourselves. Lord, how many of us have failed to rightly understand what Christ has done for us at the cross? I pray that you would stir in the hearts of your beloved, your chosen, your saved children this morning a desire to remember or an ability to recall that your son has paid for it that our Savior has purchased it, 
But we are free to turn from our sin, to turn back to you, to walk in your light, to lay aside the things that weigh us down, that hold us back. Pray that you would stir our hearts to be bold in the proclamation of your gospel to a world that is lost and dying. I do not pray, Lord, that you would keep us comfortable. We know, Lord, that you will give us all that we need. But I pray that you would make us bold, that you would grow us, that you would strengthen us, that we would honor you in all the days of our life. It is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen.